0: I'm Michael Cross, host of the KOSU Daily Podcast. Every weekday, I bring you the biggest Oklahoma stories of the day with reporting and analysis from our team of journalists and partners. Get the news you need to start your day in less than 10 minutes. Find the KOSU Daily in your podcast feed and subscribe now.
1: This Week in Oklahoma Politics is sponsored by the Oklahoma State Medical Association,
2: cornerstone of Oklahoma medicine with physician members who are committed to better health for all Oklahomans. Learn more at okmed.org.
0: For KLSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel. Lawmakers met in special session as ordered by Governor Stitt to enact income tax cuts, but In a surprise to no one, the Senate gaveled in and within 15 minutes adjourned to the call of the chair. The State House on Wednesday passed a 0.25% tax cut, but other statewide Republicans are opposing tax cuts, like Labor Commissioner Leslie Osborne. Neva, what are your thoughts on this special session?
1: Uh, well, it's not very special and, <laughs> and I think the fact that uh, nothing happened on the first day, telegraphed the Punch, that nothing is likely to happen anytime soon. Now the fact that they've left it open, that they, that they have now a second uh, special session alive and well, uh, kind of out there percolating along, I think what we will see is the regular session begin. The conversations gin up on budget and all of the other tax cuts, everything that uh, is on the table. They will wait until mid-February, just a few weeks away, to get the Board of Equalization numbers. And at that point, it's game on, and we'll see really what tax cut, if any, has traction this session.
0: Brian.
2: Well, and there are going to be several tax cut bills that have already been filed this session. Uh, Many of them don't have language in them yet. Um, I think that the 0.25% cut is probably... A, a no-go. I, I think that the Senate, even after the Board of Equalization meets, we've heard from enough senators, and, and now including statewide Republicans uh, like Labor Commissioner Leslie Osborne, that to do the 0.25% uh, income tax cut is going to just decimate agency budgets. It's going to you know, take, uh, I think, an estimated anywhere from $235 million to $293 million, according to the Oklahoma Policy Institute, take it out of the state's budget entirely, and a lot of that's depending on one-time funding. I mean, the yeah. governor keeps pointing to the state savings account, which is great, and, and and it is something to be touted. But the fact of the matter is, is that savings account includes a lot of one-time dollars. They are not recurring revenues, and at some point that runs out. And you've got a tax cut that's permanent. How do you pay for that? You're already going to have to implement tax cut or uh, service cuts just to get there right now. Uh, but once that money runs out, you're really going to be looking at cuts. And lawmakers whether it's three four or five years in the future are going to be in a real bind and i think you know, members in the senate know that i think members in the house that even voted for this uh, uh know that as well i think that it was a pretty easy vote for them to say all right well, i'm going to vote for this i get to go home and say i voted for a tax cut but then also know that they're not putting you know the state in fiscal peril By sending something over to the Senate that they're going to consider because the Senate was never going to consider this. But
1: it's also important to remember that this tax cut conversation is not new. Uh, It was last session, session before, session before. I mean this has been an ongoing struggle with the legislature to come up with a plan that is a that is acceptable both to the House, the Senate, uh, the governor, all parties Um, and I think uh, in this election year it certainly escalates and I think the fact that Uh, that all of the parties have to accept that the public at large wants to see something and so I think there is added pressure uh, into the equation with the general voters back home who say yes you can play with these numbers and say that's too much of this or not enough of that and we don't want to worry about the future and all of these things but I think Oklahomans are looking for tax relief what that finally winds up looking like if it happens that's the big question.
2: Well, and when you get right down to the matter of uh, for voters, they right now in 2024, I have to remind myself that it's 2024, <laughs> even though it's February. How did month, that happen? You're
1: already a month uh, into A
2: month it. in. You know, it usually takes me a few months. Uh, so uh, here we are, February 1, 2024, taping this. Folks will listen to this either on podcast or tomorrow on the on the 2nd. But nevertheless, Oklahoma voters have less money coming in. I mean, if you're, if you're making the same amount right now that you made a year ago or two years ago you have less money because things cost more. Inflation uh, has has taken money out of your pockets. Lawmakers are sensitive to that. I think that the tax cut plan that is put out there says, I think the lowest uh, income Oklahomans get $19 annually. The next 20% get $48 annually in savings. That's not a ton of money, even to low income Oklahomans. So I think whatever tax proposal that the legislature does consider, any sort of relief that they're trying to give to Oklahomans, they're going to try to have to find that in a way that Really brings relief to folks otherwise it's going to be a tax cut on a mailpiece during election time and whenever voters are looking for the money it's just not going to be there
0: State Superintendent Ryan Walters is coming under fire for trying to claw back new teacher bonuses to educators in a collaborative investigation by Oklahoma watch and State Impact Oklahoma the Department of Education wants fifteen to fifty thousand dollars from nine teachers after it overpaid two hundred and ninety thousand in the bonuses. Walters is calling reporters liars and saying the story is, quote, fake news without refuting any of the story. Meanwhile, one of the educators has already filed a lawsuit against the agency. Ryan,
2: should the Department of Education be trying to claw back this money? Absolutely not. It's unconscionable. It's reprehensible for them to do this. I think it, uh, if, if the goal of this program is to try to get teachers both in Oklahoma and outside of Oklahoma to come to Oklahoma classrooms and fill these unfilled positions that we've got, doing something like this... This is the thing that people are going to know whenever they Google Oklahoma. If I'm a teacher in California and I, and I see something great about Oklahoma, I think, well, I'm, I might go to Oklahoma and be a teacher. And I Google, it's like, oh, well, this is how they're treating these folks, people that filled out the applications exactly as they should have, uh, called the Department of Education multiple times to go back and forth in many instances to say, uh, am I entitled to this? How much can I get here? And the Department of Education ratifying all of that and saying, okay, and then sending them the checks depositing them in their bank accounts and now coming back and asking for the money back and whenever the teachers cry foul the state superintendent calls them liars. Um, You know we just had a a defamation verdict uh, against the former president uh, Trump uh, about a week ago where he was assessed over 80 million dollars in damages in a defamation case. Uh, You know Ryan Walters isn't ever going to have 80 million dollars to his name in his entire life but he does need to be worried about this defamation case that's been filed against him in Oklahoma County because Uh, the signal is is that when you're a government official and you use the platform that you have as a government official to go after a private citizen without any basis or any evidence and you call them a liar you've exposed yourself to a very very serious uh, legal liability not just himself but the State Department of Education as well I want to point out that in the contract that the teachers signed uh, it says that the money if it ever has to be paid back would be paid back at the discretion of the Oklahoma State Department of Education. So even in the contract, the department has given themselves discretion. They should use that discretion right now and let these teachers keep that money uh, and not devastate them financially just because they made many, many mistakes.
0: Neva.
1: And it's interesting on that discretion line, uh, the fact that, uh, that the superintendent basically now is claiming that the federal regulations Require them to claw back, and yet no one has really, uh, to my knowledge, even when asked, uh, been able to cite specific uh, language or a law to that effect. So, the blame game is on. I mean, one one week later, after we're talking about a reset and things seem to be uh, the chill off at the legislature, and there's conversation constructively going on. Now we have the superintendent send a letter, again, or a memo, email to the Speaker and the Pro Tem, not to the Education Chairs of either the Senate or the House or those Subcommittee Appropriations Education Chairs. And basically, as you say, I mean, go into this uh, um, rhetoric about accusing the media of being uh, inaccurate, premature, and reporting on these issues, and on and on and on. And then basically saying to to the Legislature, um, you know, look, don't listen to any of this. Um, we, we, can, we can roll out the information, but it's premature and we're working on it and trust us. And that's not a good game plan uh, with the legislature right now. And I think the reaction as we would expect, I mean Senator Adam or Senator uh, uh, Pugh, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, uh, education chair, has been very strong. I mean coming out and basically saying that uh, that this is no way to uh, no way to to run the operation over there and if that is going to continue then maybe they need to look at uh, drawing back some of the legislative appropriation uh, because they have such great questions. So uh, it, it, again, loads it up for some real ammunition for lawmakers to ask a lot of very pointed questions and put uh, the superintendent and his team back on the ropes having to answer these uh, straight out of the chute in the opening days of this session. So I, th- I, think, uh, I think that uh, uh, it's clear that they are more reactive than proactive. Mm-hmm. And if that continues, I think it makes for the potential for a very difficult session,
2: at least on the front end. Just two words, personal responsibility. What, what happened to personal responsibility? The State Department of Education and the superintendent, through their own incompetence, created this nightmare for these teachers now that you know, have already spent this money. Uh, you know, this money is Paying out the taxes. door. And they've, they've paid, paid taxes. taxes on it, even even if they hadn't spent any of the money that was left over. So if you got a $50,000 grant, you had about $29,000 estimated left over after taxes were taken out. Even if they hadn't touched that $29,000, the $50,000 is gone. I mean, the money has been withheld by the State Department. It's been remitted to the tax commissioner, presumably, and the IRS. That's So you don't even have the full money to give it back. And so just admit that you've made a mistake. Uh, do the right thing here. And, and grant these teachers these grants and just own up to it, just personal responsibility. I think voters would be, it'd be so refreshing to constituents in Oklahoma to say, here's a state official who admitted that they screwed up and they're, they're saying, you know, the buck stops here and this is how I'm gonna fix it.
1: You know, it, back in the uh, fall or uh, when the House uh, Budget Subcommittee had their had their hearing or it, actually I think it was even more recent than that when they had Superintendent Walters there and he gave information I mean uh, that they were uh, asking questions he was giving them information I think he said there were over a hundred and seventy teachers at that time that had received the maximum the maximum being that fifty thousand dollar bonus we're talking nine teachers right now just in in the um, the, the stories and the interviews and things that have occurred that are out in 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 the public right now. So there is so much more. Uh, in terms of the numbers, in terms of the dollars, in terms of the teachers potentially affected. And none of that information seems to be tied together in a fashion that anyone can really connect the dots. So uh, it begs the question, when will the superintendent and his folks bring this information out? And I think, uh, I th- I think it's, an, it's a debate and a certainly a very difficult situation that's not going to go away.
0: Governor Stitt is once again working to file a lawsuit against Class Wallet over the mismanagement of $31 million in COVID-19 education funds. If this sounds familiar, it's because Stitt filed a lawsuit in 2022 against the Florida company after an audit uncovered the mismanagement. But shortly after taking office last year, Attorney General Gettner Drummond dropped the lawsuit saying it was without merit. Neva, why is the governor bringing this suit up again?
1: I don't know. I mean, it was Omes, uh, the which is overseen by the governor, that filed this suit in Oklahoma County District Court earlier this week. Whether this is preemptive, uh, whether there's something else uh, that's uh, coming down the pike, I, I think there are a lot of questions. Clearly, the federal auditors uh, said that not only did uh, Superintendent Walters, but the but the state administration had issues, uh, and they they had serious issues with the uh, the fact that class wallets uh, control recommendations were not uh, taken by this by the superintendent this came out months and months ago we've talked about it more than once and that in their estimation these federal auditors there was w- well beyond a half million dollars in inappropriate expenditures and this is and who knows what that figure really is because it was a 31 million dollar program that we that we saw happen back during back during COVID. So again these these things continue to kind of percolate along and there's no resolution final resolution yet so is there something else coming out from the from uh, either the federal auditors or or somebody else i think that remains to be seen but uh, again i think uh, there's another question when the suit was filed and it'll be interesting to see who's representing? Right. Who's, who, who is representing uh, the state in this instance? Because that's unclear, given the fact that Gettner Drummond, the attorney general, uh, from, as you said, Michael, from mm-hmm. the beginning, uh, basically dismissed it. And when he did, he said at the time that it was really without merit in his estimation. So it would be hard to believe that something's dramatically changed that would uh, perhaps change the AG's view, but we'll wait and see.
2: Well, yeah, and, right. and General Drummond didn't just say that it was without merit, uh, and that, but he, he said basically that the, the state officials were the ones to blame. I mean, he directed blame. Whenever he dismissed the lawsuit, It uh, he made it very clear that he thought that it was uh, Governor Stitt, that it was uh, then Secretary of Education, now Superintendent of Education Ryan Walters, uh, that were at the helm during the $650,000 in inappropriate expenditures that the audit found, and then the total $31 million. So you know why is this filed right now? I, like you've said, Neva. I mean, we can only speculate what, what has changed. Did the Stit administration get some new information that that our notification ma- of something m- n- makes them feel like they have a, a stronger case against Class Wallet? Or is there something about to be released again from the federal government uh, and these these investigators that have been looking into the misappropriation of funds? And if that's the case, then perhaps this lawsuit is a way to get out ahead of that story. And then be able to again, whenever that press release comes out from you know whomever that is, Department of Justice, whoever is going to be leading that uh, audit investigation, that you can say, well, you know, these things did happen, but it's not our fault. It's Class Wallet, and as evidence that we believe it's Class Wallet, here's this lawsuit that we filed, and we filed it again. And uh, so it could be that. Who knows? I think we'll we'll learn more about this over the weeks and months to come. And when we're looking at a, a federal audit of federal dollars that were spent during COVID. Um, again, it comes back to personal responsibility. I think that people understand that spending money during COVID was tough. It was a very, I mean, we were trying to move money very quickly to services. Everybody was just trying, I think for the most part, I mean, there are definitely a lot of grifters out there, but there, I think a lot of people were just trying to do the right thing. And, you know, some of that money, you know, probably was going to be misspent. I mean, we should have expected that whenever you're spending that much money that quickly. Um, And so if you can just say, yeah, you know we, we made some mistakes. Let's learn from these mistakes. Um, whenever there's something like this again, you know, God forbid, but it's probably going to happen. We're going to be in a situation like this again. How can we do it better? Um, I think that that's what people want to hear. But instead, you know, the the, the name of uh, politics is to is to point fingers and try to uh, not have any of the blame land in your lap.
0: A. G. Gettner Drummond is asking for the courts to intervene after the U. S. Department of Health suspended family planning grants to Oklahoma after lawmakers passed abortion bans. Drummond is currently suing the federal agency, but now wants an injunction to reinstate the Title X funds. Ryan, do you think Drummond will get his injunction?
2: It's going to be, I think, a difficult case to get the injunction. There have been similar lawsuits, including a lawsuit that the state of Oklahoma had joined regarding Title X, uh, where I believe that the the judge there did not put an injunction in place. Um, essentially, what an injunction would be would be to force force the federal government to send money to the state of Oklahoma that the state of Oklahoma would then use to replace money that the state is currently appropriating out of general revenue from state tax dollars. Uh, you know This Title 10 program it has been around since the 1970s and uh, the the language in the Title 10 program itself, it, it says that you know the money can't be used for abortion services. Well. That's been interpreted differently by different administrations. You know, since the 1970s. You know, during the Reagan administration, uh, they interpreted that to mean you know, similar to what the Trump administration did, but that you know, not could uh, federal dollars not just go to performing abortions, but it couldn't go to organizations that were referring out to abortions or that included abortions in their family planning counseling to uh, to people that were coming to them for services. So, you know, during the Trump administration, they made that interpretation again. But what happened then is, is that that coincided with COVID. You had you know hundreds of providers that were providing critical services uh, to women and their families around the country, drop out of the program, get pushed out of the program. Now, under the Biden administration, they reversed that interpretation. And now we have most of those uh, organizations back. I think we have more providers right now than we do. In the state of Oklahoma, uh, has then created a new wrinkle, because we're one of the handful of states that put a total ban on abortion. So that's made the Title 10 conversation even more complicated from a legal standpoint, and Congress hasn't touched this in you know, nine or 10 years. Um, and so uh, how, does, how does the law stand up whenever you've got these total abortion bans? You know, my sense is that you know, federal dollars, you, you know, the federal government gets to kind of say how they want that money to be spent, and it's gonna be difficult for the state to argue otherwise to a court, Uh, I think that people that want to have the limits on those dollars, uh, either you get Congress to do something which seems unlikely or, you know, whenever there's an administration that's ready to interpret the rule in a more restrictive way, that's how you get what you want.
0: Neva? It
1: it is going to be this back and forth uh, battle interpretation on and on over this four and a half million dollar grant you're right Ryan when you say that I mean it's been around for 40 years but um, but in this instance I think you have these published reports that that continue to come out where monies in in, in the case of uh, a Missouri Family Health Council, they got three and a half million or three plus million of the money that had been allocated to Oklahoma, then additional monies for another group in Missouri, and this is kind of what I think has uh, prompted this exchange back and forth now, trying to get a clearer reading, and I think the attempt to try to try to do something with the court that would at least uh, access the dollars now Everyone can make the argument back and forth depending on which side of the uh, equation they're on as to do we w- wait until there's a new administration or is there a continuation of an administration or what does it look like after November of this year. I think that's all obviously factoring into all of these decisions as everyone begins to posture and maneuver trying to. Get their deemed best position going forward with these uh, with these issues like this that continue to be wide open and unresolved.
2: Well, and with the um, sea change in reproductive health care that we've seen since the reversal of roe v Wade last year, uh, i I think that right now, especially in states like Oklahoma that took uh, you know took the reversal of roe v Wade uh as an opportunity to put near total abortion bans or total abortion bans in effect it's created a ton of confusion and you know to the attorney general's credit uh general drummond's office has tried to explain you know what the law is in particular to physicians medical providers uh you know women that are that are pregnant uh that may have complications during their pregnancy whatever that is um and then we've had a couple of state supreme court cases there's a lot of confusion about what the state of the reproductive health care legal landscape is in a state like Oklahoma. And so I, I think, you know, federal dollars like this right now, so that, you know, a woman going into one of these centers, knowing and understanding what, what is available to me in Oklahoma, maybe it's part of it is, you know, you can't have an abortion in Oklahoma, and this is the law, or you can, but these are the circumstances. And just giving people information, that's, Really necessary right now because there is so much confusion out there.
1: And I think General Drummond was very forceful when he made the statement to the effect that Oklahoma should not be public or should not be punished for having pro-life policies even though they clash with those of uh, the Biden administration right now. So I think he has been very aggressive going after this uh, saying that it does harm Oklahomans who need health care services. These these dollars should come to the state as they always have. It shouldn't, uh, uh, nothing really should have changed and I think that uh, I think General Drummond is being uh, you know being the strong advocate that he has proven over and over over and over again to be with regard to these types of issues uh, and how they affect
2: Oklahomans. Two weeks in a row now we've talked about a topic where Governor Stitt and General Drummond are Agreed. on the same page That's and agree. Right. That's Look right. At
0: that. Senator James Langford is coming under fire by some State Republicans for negotiating with Democrats on a bipartisan immigration deal. The State Party Vice Chairman called a meeting where a majority voted to cease all support for Langford. Since the vote, the current chairman and a former chairman have called the vote illegitimate because proper notice was not given to all state committee members. But, Eva, does this show a major schism in the Oklahoma Republican Party? I don't,
1: I don't think it does at all. I think it's a continuation of what we see in both political parties right now. You have these fringes on the edge, on the edge of the party structure, the grassroots, who don't like certain things, and so they take it upon themselves to change the rules uh, to what they want to get the outcome that they that they're going after and in is in this instance you had about a hundred and twenty of four hundred members of this of the Republican State Committee these these folks that make up that 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 uh, operation that organization within the framework of the Republican Party uh, and it uh, there is a question of whether or not it was even legitimately called I think based on party rules so Here's what we had. We had these folks come. They had their agenda. They wanted to take certain actions. They didn't want to hear anything from anyone else. And they went. They went and did exactly that. Nothing different than what they did uh, back when they tried the same thing uh, back after the 2020 election, uh, where they were upset and saying that uh, the U.S. senators uh, had voted to say that the election. Uh, the election results were proper and that uh, uh, that uh, the president had the elections had taken place and president biden was was the duly elected president so we have you know we have this ongoing um, skirmish in the democrat party and the republican party uh, among the operatives and among the grassroots over what should take place in this instance it's it's disappointing when you think about the fact that we have the senior United States Senator, James Lankford, who is the lead negotiator and has for four months been working. Uh, these folks have been working tirelessly by all published reports behind closed doors. All of this that they're talking about, no one had even read yet. Mm-hmm. It had not even been released. Everyone had these internet uh, versions that were out there where people were just saying whatever at will they wanted to, and making it, uh, stating it as fact, when no one had read, no one had read what is ultimately going to be the final bill put forward. So, I mean, that is the world we live in. And I think the fact that, I think the fact that we have an instance with the, uh, with the Republican Party where, unfortunately, too much focus and too much, uh, confusion comes about when someone reads this and they think that this is the the full party organization uh, taking some sort of stand like this when absolutely it is anything but that. So um, hopefully Hopefully, we'll see less of that in the future. But in this instance, I think people need to be very clear what occurred and what did not occur.
2: Right. Well, you know, I, uh, Senator Langford didn't have a comment. I, I, he was at a late dinner, I'm sure, with Nancy Pelosi and Bernie Sanders and and, and all the other liberals <laughs> uh, in Congress. I'm joking, of course. But this is this is something that we should celebrate as as Americans. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether you like whatever policy outcome. Uh, comes out of these negotiations. And, and we really, as Neva said, we don't know what those final negotiations are gonna be. The, the fact that you have uh, leadership in, in uh, both parties sitting down for months and having difficult conversations about you know, how do you balance the humanitarian responsibility of the United States with our issues of border security and, and the massive numbers of uh, immigrants that are you know, hitting our southern border. Uh, and you know, that's only exacerbated by the fact that we're uh, seeing more and more failed states south of our border with the collapse of Venezuela. I mean, we're, we're seeing more and more folks coming to our border. And even President Biden this weekend, uh, and I think that this is, if, if folks want to you know, talk about maybe the influence that Senator Langford has had in these conversations, President Biden over the weekend uh, said, if Congress sends me a bill uh, I will that would close the border right now, I would sign it. Um, I think that that's where this conversation has moved. And so you've seen, I think that's part of probably these conversations that have been happening for years in the Biden administration, but now in concert with uh, negotiations with congressional leaders. This is how this should work. Uh, immigration policy uh, cannot be administered by the executive branch alone. And that is what has happened for decades at this point because Congress has not done their job. And so you, you've had just kind of this, these huge pendulum swings back and forth from administration to administration with new rules that are ever evolving uh, and you know, trying to meet circumstances and also the political demands of, of certain constituencies. That that's, that's, and it's led to this failure, this failure at the border. And if we're going to have re- resolution Guys like Senator Lankford and President Biden are gonna have to have c- these conversations. The other thing that's that's kind of interesting in all of this, and I'm sure that it's in the back of Senator Lankford's mind, he wouldn't say it out loud, I'm sure, but. The idea that the Republican Party matters to his political future and prospects is kind of laughable. Uh, you know, Senator Langford will likely be a U.S. senator from the state of Oklahoma for as long as he wants to be a senator from the state of Oklahoma, regardless of how many resolutions the state Republican Party ever put out against him.
1: You know, the funding issue with Ukraine, with Israel, got hun- really uh, got kind of drawn into this whole conversation with the southern border, that everything, that everything got tied together, that there was this great push to try to get something, a bipartisan agreement, something that could actually get through Congress and to the President's desk long before the president said that he would be willing to sign something like this. So, you know, who's responsible? Who's on first? I mean, all of those things, that's the story that we should set to the side, and we should start paying attention when this, uh, when this bill really uh, rolls out as to what it really says. And every indication, even from what Senator Langford, uh, on many of the uh, uh, news programs that he's been on in recent days, he's talked about how absurd it was that this um, internet conversation out there that this bill was nothing but agreeing to let 5,000 people come across the border every day uh, he called it absurd and he also went on to point out some of the things that clearly are being talked about Uh, zero illegal crossings ultimately a day no amnesty uh, increased in uh, asylum officers and detention beds being able to uh, increase the um, uh, the deport the deportation flights out I mean you can go on and on and on all of these things that in piecemeal fashion have been talked about for a long long time now they potentially have something that even the Wall Street Journal and other major uh, news outlets are saying this is a generation once in a generation opportunity and that Congress needs to get it right I mean it's it is something that is that significant something that the American people want they want a secure border And now, uh, to say, we don't want it because someone wants it or doesn't want it, and all of these other things that are being thrown into the mix, I'm not sure the American people think that's an acceptable conversation. They want to see something done that has some meat on it, and it appears that what they've hammered out for months may indeed be that document that
0: could move the needle. Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at donate.kosu.org.
2: Hey there, this is Ginny Mae Harms with KOSU, where we want to talk with you, not just at you. One way we connect with listeners just like you is through social media like Instagram. So follow us at KOSU Radio, where you'll get a behind the scenes look into KOSU reporting, station news, and even ticket giveaways. Just follow KOSU Radio on Instagram, and we'll see you there.